With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and today on the show, I'm joined by a former University of Washington quarterback, He was drafted by the Seahawks in the third round of the 1999 NFL Draft. He's a college football analyst for Fox, and if you're in the Seattle area, you hear him regularly on 710 ESPN. Brock Heward, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Good to actually talk some ball and hopefully training camp (laughs) kicking off here right around the corner. Yeah, the rookies uh, reporting this week, but mainly for uh, testing purposes for the virus. But, uh, you know, you've got other football stuff coming up, too. You've got a virtual football camp coming up next week. How have the preparations been going for that? It's been really, really fun. We actually taped it all at the end of last week, I had Dave Wyman, Paul Moyer, and Michael Bumpus, my nephew, Sam Heward, who's an amazing young quarterback, going to go to the University of Washington. That's Damon's boy. Uh, they all came to the house with the film crew from the station who just did a terrific job. And you could, <laughs> I think you could tell with all of us, just to, to get back into a little bit of what we love to do, uh, love to talk about. And that's the coach football. And our camp has been 10 years now running with the station. The station and all the volunteers, 710 ESPN, have been such a huge part of it. And they would not let it go, even though we couldn't meet in person with a couple hundred kids that we normally do. So this was the best we could do. And, and as I said, Paul and Dave and Bump and Sam were so good in their drills. And the beauty of the game of football is it doesn't matter where you are in it, how long you've been around it. Even Pete Carroll will tell you, you never stop learning. And when I watched Paul do the drills with the DBs and Dave Wyman teach some linebacker drills and Bumpus some receiver drills. And and then my, even my nephew, Sam, uh, with some of kind of the new teaching fundamentally they're doing with quarterbacks. It was awesome for me to learn. And I know the kids, uh, who will register for the camp, and you just got to go to 710sports.com to register. I, I think they'll have a blast learning uh, some some football drills that they're going to be able to do in their own backyard. That's really cool. And having it virtual, too, I'm sure it opens it up to people who maybe couldn't necessarily get into that relatively small group that you have every year. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we usually have to cap the, the morning camp at about 150 kids or so on a football field. That's usually, usually even with 30 or so volunteers and a bunch of coaches, that's usually kind of the number that seems to work fairly well. And it's been truly one of the highlights uh, of doing the radio show and, and working with the radio station, uh, just because everybody loves it and they pour their heart into it. And the kids have had such a blast over the years. So yeah, this will open it up a little bit more. And, uh, and really for anybody, I think for, for high school coaches and, and junior football coaches, I, I, if, if you watch it, I think you're going to walk away from and go, man, that's, a, that's something I hadn't thought of. Or that's a, that's a technique or a drill that we can implement pretty easily. So hopefully it can be passed on to a bunch of others. Well, Brock, normally we would be ramping up to the preseason, and we usually get to hear you calling preseason games for the Seahawks. But those have now been canceled. I, but I'm, I'm curious, though. 
have have you heard anything? Are there any chances that we get something else like televised scrimmages between the first and second teams or, or something else to help us get to the regular season? Yeah, that's a good question because I certainly know those coaches and the general managers around the league and, and the scouts and the personnel people, you need live play to really evaluate and judge. I can't tell you, Brandon, how many times, even when I was in camp over six years with the Seahawks and the Colts as a player, you would see someone in shorts in, in a mini camp and you'd just be wowed and uh, be it a, a receiver or a running back or a, a DB. And then all of a sudden the pads come on and you have to start leveraging plays a little bit differently and the physicality ramps up and you see guys just disappear. And the only way to evaluate that is truly, as you said, to go ones on twos or ones on ones and to have some of those live periods and, and crank the temperature up and crank the speed up. I know those coaches will desire to do it. I also know that within the new CBA, uh, much like the last CBA, there is very little contact. There are very few padded practices. And I think there will be very few opportunities for those evaluations. And it will cost some young players their jobs. It will help maybe some others make the team when they would not have. Uh, if the preseason would have played out and the pads would have been on. So it's going to be rather fascinating to watch, but my hunch would be, no, I don't think you're going to get to see much of that at all because I don't think the coaches are really going to have those live scrimmages and evaluation periods themselves. Gosh, I'm even thinking of the equipment adjustments. You know, we saw Russell Wilson talking to Joel McHale on Jimmy Kimmel live this week and they showed the visor and the face shield. And, and Russ has said he's been practicing with that face shield and I have to think that, you know, going through practice is one thing, but even getting used to it in a, in a simulated game type situation would be something altogether different. Yeah, there's, there's no question about that. Um, now, I, I would say with the equipment, you do get an opportunity and there will be a three week ramp up period. But I think as far as that goes, uh, there will be a new normal and guys will get used to that. But as far as the hitting, as far as the contact, and this is not a slight in any way on Shaquem Griffin. But you remember Shaquem had had kind of an amazing uh, off season after he got drafted, his, he was flashing his speed. Um, the coaches were really kind of raving about his speed and everything else. And then you get into preseason games and he's challenged. And then ultimately when he had to start in KJ Wright's place in Denver, it was an incredible challenge for him in that defense. But he was just, he really, he wasn't ready. He, he didn't have the reps and the experience to play at that kind of velocity and that kind of, of just physical speed. So uh, you're going to find that you're going to find it's going to be, I think really hard for young players, especially for any of these Seahawks rookies for any of the young rookies or undrafted rookies to really make their mark and make this team, which has been a, just a blueprint for John Schneider's program over the years. It's going to be very, very difficult to count on those guys. It really is interesting looking back historically at some of the rookies that get their start right away. And I know with Shaquem Griffin, it was because injury issues that, that really forced him into that role. But then you see other rookies where toward the end of the season, you're saying to yourself, you know, why was Ugo and Mati not getting more work? Why is Marquise Blair not out there? Why was Puna Ford not getting more reps earlier on in the season? But yet, you know, you have Shaquem, you have DK Metcalf and, and some other guys who start much earlier on. Yes. Yeah, and you just, again, you just don't know when, and you hear this said all the time, but it's true when those lights go on and the bright lights go on and the intensity cranks up, 
you can be a wonderful practice player in shorts. And we've seen them in the batting practice cages. I've watched them on basketball courts <laughs> uh, with my daughters being pretty active basketball players. And, and you watch a lot of really good practice players and it gets to game time and it just, it does not materialize that, that aggressiveness. And the, as I said earlier, just leveraging and, and, and leverage is such a big part of the professional game. You can get away with it in college playing with your pads a little bit high at the line of scrimmage as a, as a defensive lineman or offensive lineman and, and your physical strength or your prowess may offset some of that. You get to the league and you can't play with good pad level and you can't leverage your opponent. You're going to be exposed. You're, 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 you're going to have no chance. And that's where, you know, just remember LJ Collier last year in missing so much of training camp and trying to play catch up. And he never could over the course of the season for these rookies to not really have any mini camp to have a, an abbreviated training camp. One with such very little physical contact going to be just hard to imagine that they can come in as a rookie and truly make a difference for a team that I think needs, especially from that pass rush standpoint, needs a Daryl Taylor and needs some of those young people to, uh, to be an influence. Daryl Taylor is one of those players who can help the Seahawks from being that number 32 ranked defensive line in the NFL that pro football focus tagged them with this week. That ranking sparked some commentary and frustration from Colin Cowherd on the radio this week. Let's talk PFF and how the team is supporting Russell Wilson coming up after the break. Brock Hewer joining the show today and going into the break. I talked about how Colin Cowherd was voicing some frustration about the Seahawks, saying this week that Russell Wilson is saving a bad franchise. But then Colin points to the Green Bay Packers and all the support the franchise is giving Aaron Rodgers. He does point out how the Packers are ranked in the top 10 for both the offensive and defensive line. But then he cites how Rodgers has Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. And I know we've all had our frustrations with some of the players in the trenches in the recent seasons. But in terms of weapons, I will take Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf and Chris Carson, along with guys like Greg Olson and Will Disley at tight end over any of the weapons the Packers have on offense. Yeah, I think it's just more of a reference to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And I think it's looking from Collins perspective, it has to do on a national level that you look at Aaron Donald and what the Rams have been on that defensive line. And frankly, the offensive line for the last few years, and it had been such a, a talented group. You look at San Francisco and just their young phenoms they have on that defensive line. And, you know, they had the benefit of drafting in the top 10 year after year after year, but, uh, but they're loaded at the line of scrimmage and the difference that can make, you know, and for Russell, he's battled through some atrocious offensive lines. Uh, this one will be better than it than I think some of the predecessors last year. I thought the group took some strides and, 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 and made some steps on that offensive line. And Dwayne Brown is, you know, is, is a really good one at left tackle. So I, I think Colin's point probably a little bit more about the big guys and knowing that if you don't win at the line of scrimmage, which was the place the Seahawks were so dominant when Russell came into this league in 2012 and 2013 and 2014, a defensive line that was the envy of most of the league and an offensive line, along with the battering ram and Marshawn that wore people down and broke their will. And that to me is probably where Collins coming from and certainly where many of the critics are coming from when it comes to the line of scrimmage and the defensive line in particular on this roster. Yeah, it's tough when you look around the division and you see the 49ers and you see 
the LA Rams with Aaron Donald. And, you know, it was interesting because I, I did, I had to look to see what the Rams were ranked on that same list and, you know, having the number one player uh, on defense uh, as part of that d- defensive line for the Rams, you know, it put them at number seven on that same list that the Seahawks were 32. But I also took a look at the linebacker rankings for pro football focus. Bobby Wagner and the Seahawks linebackers were ranked number one. Conversely, the Rams were ranked number 32 with their linebackers. So with that in mind, Brock, I, I'm kind of curious if if we made you general manager of the Seahawks and Les Snead called you up and said we would swap front sevens, would you make that deal? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. So you you would <laughs> trade maybe, Bobby Wagner, future Hall of Famer Bobby Wagner, for Aaron Donald. For Aaron Donald, for the most dominant defensive player in the league that takes two blockers, that destroys game plans, that wrecks quarterbacks, that, that, that keeps offensive linemen up at night. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. It, 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 at this stage of the game, and, and I don't know all of the rest of the Rams uh, D-line personnel. I know that they have owned the matchup with the Seahawks at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the last couple years, and really ever since Aaron Donald has been there, the Seahawks have not had a, a terrific answer for him. But yes, and I would point to the New York Giants Super Bowl run. I would point to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl run. I would point to the Seahawks Super Bowl run. I would point to the 49ers Super Bowl uh, run a season ago. And all of them, the commonality is not their linebackers, although there's some marquee players. And Ray Lewis back in the day and Hardy Nickerson and Bobby and those guys are benefited tremendously by the guys up front. It is, it is that down. Those when you know, I say this all the time on broadcast and, and as I'm getting older, I got to keep it simpler for myself. But when four beats five, you often win. And the most basic, simple of math equations, when your four D linemen can beat the five offensive linemen in front of them, your linebackers, your corners, your nickelback, your safety, everyone looks a whole lot better. And in 12 and 13 and 14 and even into 15, when the Seahawks could go five, six, seven deep on that D line with their front four, we watched it. You watched them destroy pockets. You watched them force quarterbacks to either check it down or hold on to it and throw interceptions and take the ball away. You watched the impact and the influence they would have. So as good a linebacking crew as you could have, that's wonderful. Just like you having, you know, terrific guys that can cover on the perimeter. But when you've got four that beat five consistently, you're more often than not going to be on the right side of the win-loss column. You know, when you look at it logically and talk about it that way, Brock, it makes a lot of sense. But in, in, the, in the position of general manager, you having to bring Bobby Wagner into the office to let him know that, that he's going to the Rams, I, I, th- I guess that would be the, the, the part that would be the toughest. Oh, I'm sure, yes. I mean, Bobby is a, is a Hall of Fame caliber player. He is a tremendous leader. He has been sacrificial. Guys love him. So, yeah, I, obviously we're playing a hypothetical game, <laughs> right, it, which, which is easy to do on a, on a podcast. You might see Bobby Wagner in person before I do, so I, I think that's probably good that you make That's that qualifier. Right. But I think, yeah, but I think even Bobby would say, Aaron Donald, that dude's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, dude, that dude has taken over games and destroyed people and is the most dominant, I, I think the most dominant defensive player in the game today. And Certainly Bosa down in San Francisco proved to be a game wrecker a year ago, but Donald has done it season after season after season after season. And I think even a Bobby would tip his cap to that guy that's a monster in the middle. Well, from the most dominant defensive player to the most dominant offensive player, as a former NFL quarterback, what was your reaction to the Patrick Mahomes contract? 
I thought deserving and, and I think a win-win for, for player and organization. And, and I think a, a very wise Patrick Mahomes who watched a dad play professional baseball, it kind of felt like a baseball deal, right? 10 years, yeah. 450 million that the devil's in the details after obviously I think it's year six or seven, there's an enormous kind of balloon payment. So I think both sides can kind of see where they're at. And frankly, after a couple of years, the chiefs will really hold the cards on a year by year basis, whether they want to guarantee the future base salary every March. So I think from a, a team perspective, they still have some flexibility from a player perspective. He's showing that he doesn't want to go anywhere. Uh, my brother Damon played in Kansas city. Uh, when I look at the, just the, the organizations around the league, as far as quality organizations, the best ownership, the best fan bases, uh, wonderful places to live. Kansas city is going to be right near the top of that. My friends through the years that have played in Kansas city, they love it. Many of them settle in Overland park. They don't go anywhere uh, because that community treats their players so very well. He's found a wonderful home. And I do think it was a, a deal that yes, I know looks grotesque on paper at 10 years and $450 million. But I think when you really sort out the details, player got what he wanted, the place he wants to be. And the organization obviously has an immensely talented young quarterback. And ultimately able to sign another big guy on defense with Chris Jones uh, by getting him under that contract. So a good deal for the Chiefs. Brock Heward's virtual football camp is coming up next week. Kids 8 to 18 are welcome to join. Brock, for parents who want to sign their kids up for the camp, you mentioned some of the drills. What else are the kids going to really get out of this event? Well, they're going to hear me yelling and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if you just go to 710sports.com and dig around, you'll find a link there to, to sign up. And, and it's just the way we have to do it. Um, you know, eventually, hopefully we can tweet it out after the camp and everything else, or people can tweet out some of the videos after it's said and done. But going into it just to get people registered and everything else. That's the way that uh, we've got to do it through the station at 710sports.com. Uh, you're going to hear some words of encouragement from Dave and Paul and Bump and even a, a young high schooler and, and, a, and a senior to be and Sam Ewer that, that's going to share with you know all of those young kids just some words of encouragement on top of some of the physical drills. And, and for me, Brandon, when I was in junior high and high school and I went to camp, or I went on recruiting trips and talked to coaches and got drills. I found myself in my own backyard so many times implementing those jump rope drills or agility drills and, and just different things that, uh, that, that coaches gave me through the years. So uh, each of the different coaches that jumped in, I, I think all of them put together three or four drills and demonstrated them to make you a better DB, better linebacker, better receiver, better quarterback. And uh, all of those will be available online beginning on Monday. Be sure and check it out. He's Brock Heward. Brock, thanks for coming on the show. You got it, Brandon. Be well. Thanks once again to Brock. If you're looking for an easy link to sign up for that virtual camp, it's 710sports.com forward slash events. Lots of news up at fieldgoals.com from the first part of this week. Pat Rule, who has been an assistant coach on the offensive line for the Seahawks since 2010 and coaching with Pete Carroll since 2005, has retired Alistair Corp also has an article talking about roster sizes and how they're expected to be cut from 90 in the preseason down to 80, along with some other updates from a call with the players earlier this week. John Morgan is back and looking back at some of the biggest moments from the first eight weeks of the 2013 Super Bowl season. And some interesting news this week as Next Gen Stats has come up with a new metric of expected yards per carry. 
Tyler Olson highlights how the Seahawks have two players who finished in the top 10 last season with Chris Carson and their new acquisition, Carlos Hyde. If you're looking for more Seahawks podcasts, check out the Seahawkers podcast this week as Adam and I will be looking at the offseason for the Arizona Cardinals as part of our Know Your Rivals series. Look for that show on Friday this week, seahawkerspodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Brock Heward for coming on the show. And until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.